You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa, the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors. We are a PR firm that works in music and technology and in music technology. And here at Music Tectonics, we go beneath the surface to talk about what are the seismic shifts that are impacting the music industry with an eye towards technology. And I'm really excited today to have one of our clients, Rasti Turek, the founder and CEO of PEX. Rasti, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. I'm glad to give us another excuse to have a, a fun conversation. So we're going to get into a lot with what's going on with online video, not only in the music space, but but beyond that and how things travel uh, in terms of viral video and uh, some of the legislative uh, pressures that are going on with online video and content distribution. Um, but let's just start with, with you, Rasty. Let's, let's talk about you and, and how you came about to uh, starting PEX. Where, where did the idea come from? What, what were you trying to solve and, and how did you get there? Well, it's a, a little bit long story, but uh, the original idea was that I really wanted to build a second screen app. You can think of it like a Shazam for video. And so the idea was that anyone could point their smartphone at a TV screen or some other screen and within a couple of seconds, uh, the application will say, oh, you are watching Big Bang Theory, this episode, um, and then, you know, allow you to socialize around that. And so it took me a couple of years to figure out how to build, uh, how to write the algorithm uh, to, to essentially do the identification. And then we built the first initial um, kind of a demo app. And I started pitching it all around. And I uh, got to meet some people from Paramount Pictures that were semi-interested. I came down from San Francisco to pitch it to them. And uh, at the end of the pitch, everybody looked around and said, yeah, nobody needs this. However, our challenge is video on the internet. We don't know much about it. And so maybe you could focus on that. And so that's kind of the origin story, really. So you were, were you thinking consumers were going to use it to identify? Yeah. Um, essentially, it was the era of social apps uh, around second screen where things like GetGlue and a lot of others were coming out and all of them were asking you manually to identify the show or identify things that you are watching. And so this was kind of ma- meant to do an automatic, very fun way, which the experience was quite unique and I think uh, really fun. The challenge was that people just didn't want to Um, necessarily do this and I needed some kind of a business model and the business model was the idea that uh, first we will sell the data that we learn about the users so who watches what and kind of do these like a Nielsen uh, people meters um, on the side of the users so kind of a self-reported more than anything else and then the other was that they call sponsor shows and get people to essentially um, um, kind of check in into their shows and, and talk about it and get some uh, custom badges and it's like you know this area of foursquare coming through like a second screen right that's still it's still kind of a cool idea and uh maybe you were just ahead of your time maybe um i think the challenge was the business there yeah the business model which is you know something you know you can since you said it was kind of like a shazam of video you can also ask the questions of you know how, how was the business model for shazam and it got acquired by apple and i remember talking to somebody in the music industry saying well that's that's kind of interesting are they going to shut down access to spotify and the response went back was well why would they do that i mean the whole point of shazam is to measure signal which is really what you were saying with the nielsen connection doing the video version of that which yeah. is to see like what are people interested in and what can you do with that information once you have it? Very true. So um, let's talk more about how that evolved and what what PEX is today, what kind of services you offer and and where you're going with that. Yeah, sure. So um, originally the idea was after the, this fateful meeting was for us to actually, or for us, it's just me at that point. And so for me to go around and ask if people will be willing to pay for services like these, what that will look like, what will they expect, what, the, what will be needed. And so I started running into MCNs at that point, and they started saying, like, look, viral videos are important. We have no visibility into what's going on on the market. Uh, we would like to have something in place. And so we started 
with a heavy focus on DRM, um, not too dissimilar from something like Content ID um, on YouTube, where we were able to identify content um, quite automatically and with a high precision. But that was kind of it. And so the idea for the service was that we will offer this technology to platforms and others, um, and then they will pay us for the services. And that quickly morphed and evolved to a more uh, broader service uh, where we realized very quickly that this could be a, an okay business, but it's not necessarily the full picture and it's not the full story that the customers are really looking for. And so then um, this is, uh, let's say, a year in in the company, I decided to extend what we are doing by uh, building a true search engine. And so... To, that's what we are today. Uh, we essentially build the audiovisual search engine. Where what that means, we crawl public social uh, social platforms that hold audiovisual content, and we are able to search through it uh, based on the on the basis of the of the content itself. And so, what that means, we have now indexed over seventeen billion videos. We are roughly four times the size of the amount of data on YouTube. Uh, we cover around forty platforms. Um, and we are able to identify uh, videos and songs as short as half a second. So, you know, animated GIFs, memes, and other other things um, up to like full movies, uh, live streams, and other things. And so that's that's kind of the basis for the technology. And then we have a couple of products at the top of it. And so the, the main ones are DRM, where we allow rights holders and uh, our customers to deal with copyright infringements of some kind. And so this is not necessarily them chasing the users. This is more in relation to the platforms that we are covering or helping to understand um, um, helping to understand their general reach and impact of their content and, and then uh, doing something about that. And so th- that's, that's the DRM. The other product is analytics, um, which takes the data that we collected from all of the platforms over the time and um, allows us to generate uh, complicated and complex reports for the for the uh, customers uh, based on the basis of their assets of the uh, of their assets, which in this case asset is a content uh, assets of their competitors, and uh, also answer general questions like how much music is on Facebook and how that correlates to let's say Instagram or a Chinese platform and how that grows month to month against other categories and so. We are able to move up and down the stack from like a single uh, single video or a single song um, through the whole platform or, or the whole internet, at least the parts that we cover. Wow, that was a lot, Rasty. I might have to unpack a little bit of that. <laughs> so just just to catch people up um, who, who some of this information might be new for, um, what I'm hearing you say is, so you made this pivot from this idea of having the Shazam of video as a second screen kind of social engagement to, to, to measure signal and, and see what kind of engagement there is on video broadcast video um, to uh, the feedback from the industry being, well, how can you use this on online um, online videos. And so the first customers that were interested were the multi-channel networks who wanted help tracking how their content was being used online, right? And that's where your kind of origin in the digital rights management space came from. Did I get that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And that it wasn't that dissimilar to what people are familiar with, with YouTube's content ID, except you focused on having a higher level of precision and um, going across other platforms, not just YouTube, which is where you come in with the 17 billion videos that you've tracked and, uh, um, and also being able to track as, as short as a half a second, either on the audio or the video side, and then see where that, um, content's going elsewhere. Is that right? Correct. Cool. So that's the DRM side, which is more around copyright infringement. And then the analytics side is then once you're kind of keeping an eye on all this data, both at the single asset level, single video or audio track level, you're also able to then um, give customers feedback about how that relates to the overall platform or from platform to platform or between one asset and a competitor's asset. Exactly. Cool. And does that cover all the current services? Uh, yes, all the services that we essentially uh, index. And so it's around 40 at this point, 
starting with uh, the big ones like YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, uh, going through Russian platforms like VKNOK, OK, going through China from uh, Yuku, TikTok, and many, many others. Um, and then also applications like uh, Smule or um, others that have UGC content in relation to audio and video. Yeah, so that's that's a lot of stuff across a lot of territories. Yes. And kind of in pockets, it's interesting because you see in the music space, at least, you see people kind of um, migrating towards wherever there's kind of heat and traction. And what you're saying is you're now able to track that even in pockets that people might not be expecting. Um, does that, do, does, do, do you see music content transforming into the Giphy world? I mean, I know that's something you track, but it's, uh, those are usually without audio, I believe. So yeah, well, I mean, animated GIFs are without audio. Um, what tends to bleed out from the music world into into the, that uh, is usually the video clips, and so music clips in general, um, especially when it's an expression. And so uh, memes, especially memes when animated GIFs are used as a form of uh, expression, as a meme, then they tend to focus on um, single expression of emotion. And so video clips or music clips are equal to any other visual representation of that. And so they are used in that sense. Uh, otherwise, there is a lot of innovation around, around mixes and remixes on the audio side. And then, of course, platforms like TikTok that are bringing kind of the mixing of the audio and uh, video, where the video is expression of the user, while the audio is expression of the artist. And so it's a interesting blend that was not necessarily tried in the past in this combination. Hmm, that's a good point, right? So so with user-generated content, you're saying the audio, particularly music, is kind of what is the, the through line for a lot of the connections of these different unique videos. Um, so somebody gets the personal expression of the video, but then they get to tie into something that connects them with other people through the music itself. Yes. I mean, vast majority of uh, video content that we see contains some form or shape music. Um, the, the, the challenges for humans is uh, it's quite unpleasant to watch uh, quiet videos for a longer period of time. Even uh, conversations without without underlying music tends to be very boring and very very unpleasant to listen to. And so, music just pours emotions, and it's used across most of the content across the internet outside of maybe animated gifs. And so. Um, there are some new expressions and new 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 um, platforms that are trying to marry audio and video. And Smule and TikTok are probably the most innovative at this point that we saw. But a lot of others are definitely close to it. Instagram is definitely uh, on the forefront too, where Instagram uses a lot of short videos where the video itself, the visual part, is also an expression of the user. But then audio is um, kind of the new... The, the, the setting the mood and so it's uh, anchoring the user to um, to maybe a baseline that the that the artist or user just wanted to express and so um, music is very important in videos uh, as we see it. Wow, I feel like we're almost like in an art criticism class. All of a sudden, we went from talking about data and digital rights management and, and content ID to kind of the role of, of music, which is super interesting. It's cool to see you have that perspective as you're working in the field. Did we cover all the offerings of PEX before we broaden out again and talk about what kind of trends you're seeing and things? Well, we have one more that we recently uh, announced, which we called an attribution engine. And uh, it's essentially a productization of our own engine that we use for identification of content, which is exposed to both rights holders and platforms um, free of charge, where they can register their own content and then um, identify the content uh, within a short period of time uh, on the platform side. And so this is kind of covering the upcoming legislation challenges coming from Europe and maybe in the future in other countries. And so we are just trying to be kind of connected to, to, to the situations that are happening and uh, help out where we can. And, and just to explain a tiny bit more on the attribution engine, you're saying that you create a framework that somebody can put their catalog in so they understand more of the content that they have? 
Uh, well, so it's uh, it's split into two sides, two sides, two parts. And so one is a public one where anyone can give us their catalog, uh, be it video or audio, and then it's exposed to uh, kind of a publicly searchable uh, database, which we provide also the search. And um, that is uh, meant for um, kind of a replacement or competition to content ID itself. And so we have a platform or DSP decides that they need to have a technology like this on their platform because they are forced or they just want to. Um, they are able to now um, identify all the rights orders that, all, all the content from the rights orders that we actively work with. And so um, it covers both audio and video side. And then on the, on the second half, we have a kind of a private offering where any, uh, any owner of content of any kind can register their content and then search it themselves. And so they can build applications of that, like automatically generating cue sheets or uh, identifying uh, if they own this content and in what form or shape they already have it registered with us. It's essentially just the searching technology being exposed privately to the, to the customer. Right. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. So on the one hand, it's for platforms to use so that they can kind of have a uh, off the shelf equivalent of what uh, YouTube might have, but for their own platform, um, but with content that you guys have pre-populated with your existing users. And then on the Correct. other side is people can have like a, their own private search engine if they've got a large catalog. Yes. Okay, cool. Awesome. All right. So now we got a sense of PEX, um, where you came from and what you're offering. What let's let's broaden out a bit. Um, what trends are you seeing in the growth of online video? What are some of the things that when you're when you're just thinking about things that people in the music space might not quite be up to date on or that's on the front edge of this? I mean, you talked a little bit about this this um, some of the the social video creation and the role of music there, but are there other tr more broadly, are there trends that you're seeing in the growth of online video? Well, couple. So one of the interesting is that uh, YouTube is being now decoupled from a very specific categories. And so YouTube used to be this uh, all-encapsulating platform that had essentially every form or shape of video and audio content. And so as the time goes, now more and more focused platforms are coming out. So for instance, Twitch for gaming content, TikTok for more like a personal expression um, same goes to Instagram, is more socially uh, relatable, but from the public. So that means it's not my friends. While Facebook, for instance, uh, the videos tend to be, um, or the ones that are clicking the best, are the ones that are uh, somehow relatable to my social web. That means my friends, family, or whoever I'm connected to. And so each platform is now becoming, or is carving out now a different vertical and it's dominating that vertical. And so uh, the same as Mixcloud is becoming the place for mixes and remixes and SoundCloud is kind of following the suit there. Um, a lot of other platforms are carving out just the verticals. And so um, I think that's a, that's a very interesting thing that people don't want to have a single app kind of the Chinese idea of like one WeChat connects you to all services possible. Uh, seems like the rest of the world is heading on the kind of a different direction where they want to have very specific uh, applications and platforms that do one thing and they do, do, do it well and they do multiple things in different applications. And so that, that is a big trend that we are seeing a lot. Um, um, the other part that we are seeing, especially in relation to YouTube, is that they are starting plateauing in amount of content that they are receiving every year and amount of users that are uploading every year. And this is not because YouTube is um, hitting some uh, personal or internal uh, marks, but it's more connected to the amount of users that are connected. And so there is around 3 billion people online, um, around 2.2 billion of adults. And um, only around 1.5 billion of them have a fast enough connection to actually consume uh, audiovisual content, which is fairly um, exhausting to the pipes. And so of those, we see um, that YouTube is now capturing the vast majority of the markets that they are also operating on. So, uh, operating in. so for instance, YouTube is not allowed in China. And so they are limited from market of around 800 million users. And so... Um, we are seeing that YouTube for the last two years, it's growing, but it's growing way so much slower in the amount of content that they are getting from new uploads. But the consumption is essentially now 
fairly stable in the uh, in the growth and so people are still watching more and more and this is kind of the general shift from a linear tv to more um more uh, less restricted uh, at least time restricted uh consumption and so more and more people spend more and more time um enjoying um online video over maybe scripted television and so that, that is definitely a trend that was going to continue for a while, um, but it's going to hit the roof within maybe next two, three years, and that will be the baseline then for every other platform. And so it's very interesting when you see a new platforms or kind of kind of new platforms, especially the ones that are uh, getting a second breath, um, how quickly they can grow to a size of the behemoths because the behemoths themselves are now the baseline for the users. But as I said in the uh, a couple of seconds ago, a couple of minutes ago, uh, we are seeing now the break the breakup of the categories. And so when user spends an hour on watching maybe a social video, then they spend additional 30 minutes on watching uh, music related content. And then they spend any additional 15 minutes doing something else. And so um, we feel like that within the next two, three years, we will see the kind of the, the ceiling for the consumption of, uh, of a particular just general um, uh, content, audiovisual content. And then we will see more the spread between platforms and uh, more carve out of the verticals. So are you saying that once we hit that ceiling, that's going to be the ceiling for all the platforms or that's going to be the benchmark that all the platforms could max out at? I, I think it's uh, it's kind of the both, right? So it's like it's the it's the ceiling for all of the platforms. It's like there's not going to be more users. There can be now more users online, but not more users. So, I mean, we are not going to get extra 5 billion users within next year because we don't, just don't have enough humans for that. And so once most of the world is on online, um, then that's just kind of the limit. And then once that passes to um, the consumption, so the consumption moves from scripted and linear television to more free, uh, free content being on the UGC side or even uh, professionally uh, produced scripted, but still uh, within the UGC platforms. Um, that will be the, just a complete link there. But um, other platforms are not necessarily limited by that. So that means it's not like if YouTube now has 1.5 billion users, then Instagram cannot have 1.5 billion users. It's more, it's more related to the fact that there will be not more users quickly, but every platform can kind of gain the same amount of users if they have a vertical that the users are interested in. And so um, I think the one I brought already, uh, TikTok, is... Um, taking a huge amount of, or it's, it's growing in incredible pace, but it's mostly because their baseline was so much lower than any other platform that they are now able to uh, kind of reach for the baseline wherever they are going to be, which is can be as high as whatever we are seeing with the other platforms like Facebook or YouTube. Got you. So... Uh, let's back up a, just a second because you started in the in the kind of um, DRM for for audio and video, but found a lot of growth in the music space because of the timing with what was going on with music and 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 YouTube. How important is YouTube for music from a video engagement perspective now? Um, very, um, and it's not just because of the engagement. So YouTube tends to like to say that music is only twenty percent of all the views that come um, to YouTube, which is very true. Um, I think the challenge that YouTube doesn't focus on too much is uh, a lot of the views are not outside of the music and entertainment, where entertainment re represents trailers and movies. Um, a lot of the other views that go towards uh, generic uh, categories like people's and blog, which is the general category for YouTube, or gaming or others is not yielding necessarily money for them. And so music and entertainment, but music specifically, because it's a short form content, uh, it costs less to host. And then it also uh, generates a lot of money. So a lot of people come to, uh, first to YouTube to listen uh, to music. And so even if it's 20% of the global um, content or maybe the views that are on, uh, on YouTube, um, it generates 
most of the revenue or vast majority of the revenue for YouTube itself. And so it kind of allows them to then double into other categories and feed and um, kind of uh, feed them from this revenue that they're gaining. And so we see a lot of value for YouTube from music um, and followed by entertainment, which is uh, quite curious because those are the two most non-native categories to YouTube, which means that they have to obtain licenses for them to uh, have that content on their platform. While the categories that are native that don't require any licensing, like peoples and blogs, which is uh, the kind of the generic category for YouTube and it's the one that they grew up with or are the most known for, it's the one that doesn't necessarily uh, translate into uh, into a lot of money. And so it's more a drag on them and it's a provider of revenue. And it's one of the reasons why you see a lot of the efforts on YouTube side to demonetize a lot of these, um, a lot of these users, a lot of these categories, uh, while focusing on more professionally produced content, because they can first of all um, command higher premiums, while these higher premiums are coming from uh, advertisers uh, competing for showing their con- uh, showing their ads at above more uh, professionally pro- produced content. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so I want to switch gears a little bit here and, and ask you what your take is on the, the various legislative pushes around the world that are, that propose ending safe Harbor. Um, you know, obviously we saw article 13 now called article 17 pass in the EU and we're starting to see things pop up in India, Canada, and even in the U S as it regards to safe Harbor, um, Obviously, the music industry was concerned about Article 13 slash 17 um, because it impacted user-generated um, uploads of music content. And uh, but, but some of the things that have popped up now also are, are related to um, hate speech or, or video streams of, of hate crimes and th- things like that. But uh, let's just start there. What, what, what's your take on, on this legislative new, new kind of pressure on, on uploaded content and uh, the push to end safe harbor by some of them? Yeah, uh, well, the, the legislation push is kind of a double-edged sword and it's coming from two sides. One is the rights holders are kind of fed up with the platforms uh, legally, especially thanks to DMCA, which is uh, 512 in the United States. Um, it, it, it essentially, the rights holders are bearing the cost, which I think makes sense and made sense when it was put together. But the challenge is nobody expected the growth. And so when Congress passed this law in the 90s, this, the idea was just not stiffing a competition. And don't forget that music, especially music labels, were at that point having the blast of their life and generating the most revenue in the history of the industry. Uh, while Napster and other platforms then almost completely wiped out the business from the surface. And so the challenge today is platforms like YouTube that have over 5 billion videos, it's just almost impossible for the rights holder to do a good job of policing their own content and making sure that they are not being taken advantage of. And so... Now the challenge is kind of that. Um, and then the second part is, especially for non-US uh, governments, uh, a lot of these legislations are more um, kind of to stick it to uh, US-based uh, tech companies in a ways that they can. So for instance, it's hard for them to find Facebook for the situation that is happening, where Facebook is blamed for a lot of uh, social distrust in the, in the societies. And there is very little the governments can do about that. But what they can do is to hold them accountable for copyrighted content, terrorist content, child pornography, and others. And so that's what they're kind of doing. And so Article 13 and now 17 is quite unfortunate take on it. Um, It's putting a lot of pressure uh, or it's taking a lot of pressure from the rights holders and putting it on the platform instead of trying to find a balance. um, however, it is what it is, and so the world will have to adjust. Uh, the challenge may be, and that is one of the things that is not understood very well, uh, is how this is going to play out with uh, laws in other countries. And so, for instance, Article 13 or 17 is now applies only to European uh, European countries, but 
that means every every platform that operates for European users has to adapt technologies to deal with this. However, um, that means, or kind of the, the logic behind it is uh, a platform shall not release a content to, to the platform if it's not first identified and properly licensed prior that. So that means that's why, why this is called upload filters or content filters. But it's an um, um, absolute odds with how DMCA law uh, works because it says uh, the platforms have um, a production under safe harbor, which means that up until they don't know what the, what, what the content is, they are not responsible for it. And so these two things are completely against each other. And I am not necessarily sure how this is going to play out because the companies, you know, maybe they are operating in one jurisdiction, but the world through the internet, through the eyes of the internet is global and it's almost impossible to uh, have an equal, like a split standard for different countries. And so um, the solution may have to, or may end up to being that um, kind of the harshest conditions will be applied across the globe for every company because I cannot see companies like Twitch or YouTube or others uh, pulling out from Europe where Europe has more citizens than US and usually generates more money. And so vast majority of platforms now generate more money outside of US than they generate in US. And so I, I think this will be quite challenging for them to apply. And uh, the legislators are you know, looking for... The, the, the interesting thing is that um, the lobbying doesn't work as well outside of US because vast majority of these platforms are coming from US or in recent years, maybe from Russia or China. And uh, um, the governments are not as susceptible to maybe listening to the platforms as much because they are not paying as, as, as much taxes in there as they are paying maybe in US, if even. And so um, we see a lot of these platforms failing to uh, properly lobby the legislators. And as a consequence, they are... Um, kind of coming up with very harsh uh, laws. Um, and those apply not just necessarily for copyright, because the challenge tends to be that once you have to have a system to identify one type of content, then essentially it's very easy to make the case why not to identify all types of content. And so, uh, for instance, uh, European Union is now coming out with a, with a registration rule that uh, all terrorist content has to be taken down within an hour of reporting. And so I think the copyright holders will kind of hop on the wagon with that and say, well, if you are going to do this for terrorist videos, you now have to do this for copyrighted content too, because technically there is very little difference between it. And this is going to introduce a lot of more challenges for the platforms. And so that's why we as a company are trying to address this with our attribution engine, but there are many others that are coming to the market. And I think that will spur some innovation in the technical solutions to these, uh, which are not necessarily going to be bad for the market, but I think the transition period is going to be quite challenging for the platforms. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about what the what the how the the PEC solution plays out in kind of the post. I don't know if we can, can we call it a post safe harbor world. Is that is that going to happen? <laughs> but but how does uh, how does how does uh, uh, PEX's role play out there? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's post-safe harbor. Like, United States is not yet amending anything around 512. And so I actually was part of the panel uh, on Monday talking about this with the, uh, with the Library of Congress and the Copyright Office. And uh, they are trying to see how the world changed in recent years and um, see if there is um, any, um, um, any amendments necessary. But... Uh, as I said, uh, unfortunately, U.S. is now not, fortunately, unfortunately, because the TPP was taken down. And part of the TPP was that uh, 100 plus countries will agree to the copyright laws that United States already has. And so we'll define safe harbor the way that United States had it and a lot of other things. But how, unfortunately, the TPP didn't pass. And so U.S. is no more the kind of the leading uh, government or maybe region that is uh, that is setting the pace. And I think, as I said earlier, uh, the pace will be set by the harshest rules because that's how the platforms will have to deal with it. And so what we build with the attribution engine is, first of all, addressing the number one 
um, worry and challenge for the platforms where um, the investments that, for instance, YouTube says um, that they spend over $100 million of investments into content ID, into building content ID, um, without the operational cost, which is amounting probably to more than that um, every year. And so uh, a lot of platforms are afraid that this is going to be um, challenging investment that they will not have budget for. And so because our platform comes free of charge uh, for both initial implementation and maintenance, so there is no more no cost to the rights holder, nor the platforms, we hope that this is going to at least lower the barrier of entry. And in addition of that, uh, we hope that we will see more innovation around business models because now it will open up uh, the data to be more transparent to both sides. And so both sides will now be able to maybe communicate more freely than in the prior years where they had to kind of hide the earnings from each other, hide the data from each other, not to uh, pay out, not necessarily what was deserved, but maybe what was expected. And so I think this is kind of, always uh, two sides of the same coin where rights holders on one side want the most money and then the platform on the other want to make the most innovation. I don't think any platform is trying to uh, keep the money for themselves. I, I think they're really trying to give it back to the users in some form or shape, but the challenge is then the rights holders are being stiffed from the revenue that they deserve. And so we are trying to be kind of the arbitrary in these a little bit, bringing a platform that brings primarily transparency to the market um, where they don't have to worry about things like technical challenges. They don't have to worry about uh, us hiding things from one or the other side. And I think it creates a better starting point for uh, for both sides from the get-go. And then we want to also help the platforms to... Uh, kind of address the challenges that the um, Article 17 and others are bringing to the table, like general licensing, where even if the platform wants to be licensed by most of the rights holders, there are around um, 8,000 small and large rights holders just in the music space. And so maybe the first three uh, music majors are able to cover a huge percentage of that. There are many others that are not. And so uh, it's very challenging for the platforms, especially as a startups, to um, engage with all of them and have resolution within a short periods of time, because uh, obviously the rights holders are slammed by the interest that they are getting from the platforms and other um, uh, other parties. And so we are trying to kind of bring an automated solution to the market where both sides can make quick decisions and then maybe tune them out over the years based on whatever whatever they are seeing on both sides. And so uh, we are thinking about this, what kind of Visa and MasterCard and American Express did over the years to the financial market were connected two parties to each other that wanted to transact. This is kind of similar uh, in our hope and understanding how we will want the market to operate. Interesting. Wow. Sounds like uh, um, you've got good timing on on this one uh, versus what you initially thought you were going to do. Out of curiosity, what, when do you think this is all going to hit in terms of when platforms are going to need to comply with uh, the newly passed Article 17? Uh, well, this is a truly challenging. And so we are hearing rumors that uh, France... So how this works, or kind of step back, how, how European Union works is a little bit different from U.S., and so all the laws are essentially just a frameworks uh, that have to be adopted by states. And so the state are the ones or the countries themselves. And so the countries are the ones that are, have to finalize the, the law itself within the framework or within the scopes of the framework that was proposed or was kind of put out by the European uh, Parliament, European Commission. And so... Uh, the interesting thing is now every country has two years to come up with their own law. How this usually plays out in Europe is that there are two, three countries that matter the most, and they will be the baseline for everybody else, up until some other country doesn't decide to go completely crazy and do even more. And so these two, three countries are usually France, Italy, and Germany, most particularly Germany and France. And so we are hearing that France is... Um, very close to finishing up the initial draft that they want to have out by a summer. Will they vote on it by the summer? Then there is a six months, six month period before it become a, becomes a law. 
and then whatever the law says. And so the challenge also still is that Article 17 is just a framework. It's not a law. And so nobody knows what the reality of the law is going to be. There could be, they could maybe ease out into the, uh, into the law or they could make it much, much more strenuous. And this will only uh, be visible once the, once the proposal comes out. Um, but it could be as quickly as December this year. Okay. Wow. Well, that's, that's, that's a good framework to know in terms of timeline. What, how do you, I mean, you, you pretty much said that you think that the the platforms will have to be as responsive in the U S market, even though the legislation isn't here, just because it's so hard to control the content for vast, uh, vast swaths of territories elsewhere without just doing the same in the U S. So you're, you're pretty confident that, um, or at least your perspective is that they'll have to their solution for Europe is going to have to be the same in the U.S. Uh, I mean, we saw it with the GDPR and a couple of others where a lot of platforms after they adopted GDPR just announced that they are applying to all the users. Uh, it technically, because technology likes equality and technology likes scale, um, this is what computers are good at. It's much more complicated to make two, three versions of the same systems that is to have one. No matter how complicated it is from legal or business point of view, it's much more technologically uh, simpler to have a single version. And so I'm modeling this on uh, on the behavior, on the reality of GDPR, where European Union essentially forced the rules on almost everybody else. And then some states within U.S., particularly California, started following the same idea of the law. And so now you have to comply in one state in U.S. and then every single country in Europe with kind of GDPR-like law. So for the platforms, it's just much easier to apply it on everybody else because the rest of the world that is left out is not small, but financially is not usually as lucrative. And so US and Europe tends to uh, be around 70% of most of the revenue, 70 to 80% to most of the revenue of the rest of the world. And so um, to the platforms, is then matters very little if they apply the same rules to something like India or Indonesia or Australia or something similar where uh, they are already kind of covered within the rest. Like once you have more than 50% of your revenue impacted by these, it tends to be just easier to uh, let it go for everything. I think the other part is, the, and the true challenge is going to be, how will the lawsuits play out within US? Um, let's say YouTube will try to establish a second body second company to, uh, in Europe, which will say essentially we know we know whose content this is before it's published, but then in US they don't. Uh, I think it will be very hard to make a case in front of a judge or jury uh, that they had no knowledge from the European part because it's a separate organization. I think they will maybe follow more um, to, to kind of the idea of the revenue. So follow the revenue and that's where this, the knowledge is. Um, this is all speculation at this point. Like, we really don't know. But um, I think the safest bet is to model everything under or over GDPR, how that played out, what were the consequences to the market, and what that looked like. And I think we will see something very similar happening to the copyright in very short period of time. That makes that makes a lot of sense uh, to use that as a model because it does have uh, similar parallels where stringent uh, kind of policies were released in other territories. But it pretty much for an online platform, you want to have a global set of standards around how you're operating, or it just gets pretty pretty complicated pretty fast. So um, I'm so impressed with just how much how much data you're storing in your head and processing yourself as well. And I really enjoy um, dipping into your your Twitter feed as well, which is at Synopsy, S-Y-N-O-P-S-I. Might throw you one last curveball, Rasty, and ask you, um, at Music Tectonics, we're always looking at like what's rumbling beneath the surface. And you've, you've done a great job at sort of like helping us pull out where things are going and kind of the short, short and midterm here. I'm curious, if we push it out another five years or more, what are some some things that you might speculate could happen in, in both the online video space, online media, and, and music space as well that, that maybe other folks that aren't paying attention to video across all these platforms and the way content spreads the way you are uh, might not see coming? 
I mean, I obviously cannot see the black swans of the of the situations, but uh, what we are seeing generally is people are moving from linear TV towards more open uh, open system of consumption. Um, so I think that will continue, and uh, it will just uh, speed up to a point that I don't believe linear TV has many years to go. I think it will be replaced by a mix of script non uh, non-linear content and so my my guess is going to be we will see much more of uh power going towards the devices like roku or apple tv or something similar where they will start focusing on what kind of spotify did around audio where now a lot of uh, a lot of um, interactions with the content comes from uh generated um, recommendations coming from Spotify itself. And so Spotify as a platform now holds a huge amount of power over the content itself where they exposed users to things like Discover Weekly or recommended to you. And so I think this we will see with more and more devices coming to the market and especially with the big ones like Fire TV, uh, Apple TV, Roku and others where um, they, will, they will start building these kind of a linear TV for the users where you have the control over the timing of it, but they are feeding the, the, the pipeline that is there. And then on general uh, video and music on the internet, I think we'll see a lot of innovation where the beauty of that is because the distribution is now commoditized to point that is almost free, um, people will play with it more. And so as uh, more and more pl- uh, platforms are now adopting um, systems that allow them to uh, kind of identify the owners and then pay out uh, pay out on the content. The, the rights holders are now more open-minded towards sampling. So companies like Splice are able to do a lot in this space. Uh, companies like Dubset help a lot um, around mixes and remixes. And so more and more of these companies are now going to be pushing out more and more content. And I think that content, we will see a lot of innovation in this, like how the content is produced, how the content is distributed, and how the content is uh, consumed at the end of the line. And then I think that will open up new business models that were not necessarily possible in the past. Um, I think what what is going to be very visible and what is going to be very challenging is that the existing platforms are not going to be able to keep the status quo for much longer. And so they will have to adjust to the new world but I think at the end of the day, they will still come winning, uh, come out of, as winners with the rights holders um, trailing them. And so it's not going to be, as it is today, disbalanced where one is at the other of the other. But I think it will produce more win-win situation. And then uh, as more and more users are coming to the market, as, the, as, as our devices, especially smartphones, are getting um, more powerful with every single cycle, we will get uh, more innovation on the how the content is produced um, and what kind of content. And I think the capture of things that we can't even imagine five, ten years ago, like um, basically uh, selfies was not a thing just a couple of years ago, and it's now a big deal for people how they communicate. I think we will see a lot of communication between users being expressed through a content, be it on their side or uh, coming from someone else, but a content that is more uh, video and audio uh, based. And so it's more uh, fluent and more expressive than just an images. And um, so that's kind of what we, we see and what we think it's going to happen. There may be a surprising, uh, surprising uh, things coming out. I mean, a lot of investments are going towards AR and VR. Uh, we have not seen yet anything significant coming out of it, but there are definitely concepts already that are well established uh, within these two and um, are paving maybe a, a road for more innovation in that space. And so that is definitely coming out. And mm-hmm. I think there will be new technologies that we cannot just yet imagine that will help uh, people to express and communicate uh, the most, uh, the, the way that it's the most native to humans. And so I always say, if a, if a caveman will have a camera, we may not have a, have written word because there's nothing more expressive than the kind of, that's why they say it's like a, one visual is uh, is worth 100, 100 words. And so 
I, I think we will see this more and more, especially as the technology is getting better and better. Internet connections are getting faster and faster. The One of the things that a lot of people don't realize is uh, how big an impact 5G is going to have on the population because it's just not only going to unlock more rural uh, si- rural p- parts of the Western world, but also a lot of the um, emerging countries, a lot of Africa, a lot of others where uh, it's just not as simple to build the infrastructure. And in addition to that, uh, having every device connected to, to the internet and having it being able to produce data and us then being able to work with the data will produce even more types of content that we just cannot yet imagine. And so I think this is nicely coming together. Um, and within the next five to 10 years, we'll see a lot of innovation coming because of the underlying infrastructure is mm-hmm. be- becoming so much better. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Really, really good points there. And I'm, I'm excited that uh, you're in Los Angeles, uh, Rasty, with the PEX team. Um, excited that, that you're thinking about this globalization, um, about um, music in unexpected places, because those are the types of themes that we're going to bring to Los Angeles at the Music Tectonics Conference, which is taking place October 28th and 29th. We're going to make sure you're there, Rasty, right? Yep. <laughs> and uh, and you've been great about helping me kind of navigate what's going on in LA. A lot of great music tech uh, companies there, and obviously big music and um, uh, film, TV, gaming, all that stuff in, in LA. So it's a great place to bring the conference, which you can find out about on musictectonics.com. And we've just released a handful more of uh, discount tickets, uh, $100 off if you sign up for our newsletter at musictectonics.com. The conference is $349, and um, we're going to be continuing these types of conversations to see what the seismic shifts are that are happening beneath the surface and changing how um, how the music industry is operating through innovation and technology. Rasty, it was so great to have you on the the podcast and really appreciate all our conversations. Thanks for thanks for being in on it. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, if you like this podcast, uh, tell your friends about it. Subscribe to it. Um, You can hear it on uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere. Stitcher, anywhere you hear podcasts. So tell your friends about it. Keep listening. And uh, we'll see you soon. Uh, We'll be at the New York Music Tech Meetup this week. Um, We'll be at Music Biz and uh, at Meetup. We'll be doing some interviews at Meetup. So we hope to see you around. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Music Tectonics.